This is Camp Hacker. Come find our show notes and our blog for camp directors and leaders at camphacker.tv. Good day and welcome to our podcast. This is Camp Hacker, episode 92, recorded on the 12th of October, 2016. On today's show, the business of camp. If you would like easy, automatic, free updates of our podcast, you can subscribe in iTunes or use the free Stitcher app. This week's Camp Hacker podcast is sponsored by Go Camp Pro. Go Camp Pro is a year-round online camp conference for the true summer camp mavericks, the camp pros who can't stand it when people say, that's not how we do things around here. Go Camp Pro is a community of year-round summer camp staffers who empower each other to make the big changes that camp needs so that our campers and staff will go and change the world. To try it free for one week, go to www.gocamp.pro. And this week's Camp Hacker podcast is sponsored in part by camp pros like you who support the show on Patreon. We want to thank those patrons who have been supporting the show from the beginning and without fail. David G., Andy L., Marie W., Teresa ML., Lisa Summer Fun, Ange A., Jack and Laura, and Mark P. If you've got even one good idea from the Camp Hacker podcast, you could show your support for the show for as little as $1 per episode. We've got some great rewards too, just like a Kickstarter campaign. Please go to patreon.com forward slash Camp Hacker. We hope you enjoy the Camp Hacker show. Hello, Camp Pros, and welcome to the Camp Hacker podcast. I'm Travis Allison. Uh, I'm a founder of Go Camp Pro, a year-round camp conference for summer camp professionals. My name's Joe Richards. I'm the executive director at Pierce Williams Christian Center, which is a United Church of Canada summer camp and retreat facility located in Fingal, Ontario, sort of halfway between Detroit and Toronto. I'm Jonathan Lee, co-executive director of Camp Kintel, a Presbyterian camp located north of Goderich on Lake Huron. My name is Sarah Kurtz McKinnon. I'm based out of Ann Arbor, Michigan. I'm a camp consultant and trainer, and my business is called Kurtz McKinnon Creative. I'm also a partner at Go Camp Pro. Right on. Well, I'm I'm so excited to welcome Jonathan and Sarah to the show. Um, Sarah, since you were going last, I'll just keep going with you. You've got okay. uh, a great camp story, don't you? Which one? <laughs> <laughs> How did you get started in summer camps? The best way to do it. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, uh, how I got started, restarted in summer camp after many summers away, I was a longtime camper, was that I was a journalism major in college and I was really sick of it. And I was like, this is annoying. Everyone was super competitive and they were bothering me. <laughs> and I had um, a dorm mate who was actually um, from Camp Salamaris in New York. And he was a camp counselor actually for Jack and Laura. And I didn't know that. And Jack and Laura like weren't a thing because this was like 12 years ago. And um, this dorm mate, Patrick, um, talked me into applying to a bunch of different camps. And um, I ended up working at Ann Arbor YMCA Camp Algonquin because I didn't get hired at Selimars, which is um, so funny. And also their director called me and apologized and just said he didn't have any room because he had so many returning staff. That always meant a lot to me. Um, But I ended up at the best place for me, which was Ann Arbor YMCA Camp Algonquin. And I thought it was going to be a one summer thing. I thought it was just going to be fun and relaxing. And then I ended up staying um, for about a decade. So I got hooked. (laughs) Right on. And, And since you've left camp, you've gone back to school. Yeah, so I'm in um, the evening MBA program at the Ross School of Business at the University of Michigan. So right here in Ann Arbor. 
So I'm doing that 7 to 10 p.m. at night. Right. <laughs> so All it's right. a wild, wild late night. Cool. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm so glad to welcome you to uh, to the podcast, and um, thrilled to have some some of your great ideas come through in what we're talking about today. Yeah, thanks for having me. And so, Jonathan, you went to to camp as a kid, but your camp your your camp story as an adult is a little different. Yeah. Um. Well, really, it relates to my wife Teresa, but when we were dating. Um, she was working at camp, so I came and worked at camp with her. <laughs> and then when Teresa was doing seminary in Vancouver, we spent three years co-managing Camp Douglas, a camp on the Sunshine Coast of British Columbia. And then I, then I spent almost uh, over five years with the Royal Bank as a financial consultant and a, a senior commercial account manager before um, the position came available at Camp Kintel when Teresa and I return to Kintel. And um, I say return because that's the camp Teresa grew up at and I had been at with her for a year. And then we've been here at Kintel for 10 years now as co-managing the camp. Yeah. And uh, as many people listening know, Camp Kintel is where I grew up and Jonathan's wife, Teresa, was one of my campers when I was a counselor. And uh, <laughs> I am always so thrilled to go back and, and see Kintel and see the amazing things that Jonathan and Teresa are doing there. Uh, Jonathan's got an amazing head for, um, the business side of camp and, um, and I've always been impressed with, um, how thoughtful Sarah is about that side of the things as well. So, um, I wanted to invite the two of them here specifically because we want to talk about the business of camp today. And so many of us that get involved in this in camp full time, come into it because we really like working with kids or we enjoy leading uh, young adults. And uh, so we work real hard to get qualified to be a, a camp director or full-time year-round camp staff person. Uh, and then we're all suddenly faced with um, the business side of things and we're faced with the challenges of um, keeping up our numbers and growing our numbers or expanding programs and, um, in really making sure that camp itself becomes sustainable. And so that's why I invited these folks here. I also have a lot of respect for what Joe has done at, at Pierce Williams in both building up the campsite of camp and also continuing how Pierce Williams used to has always run where the the rental side is so the business side of of the program is set up to subsidize the camp program so kids can kind of afford to go to camp. So Joe's also got some really smart stuff and has done some amazing stuff in fundraising. I'm not going to touch on fundraising specifically today, but um, I've always respected Joe's brain for that kind of stuff too. So Joe, I wonder if you could start us off. Um, when you were um, becoming a camp director and moving from the program side to administration, how, how did you get yourself prepared to deal with the, the new aspect of, of the job going from, um, you know, leading games and songs into making sure that camp is going to be there for the future. It's, it's a great question. It's one that for me didn't happen overnight. My, my camp history is that I, I grew up at a, at a United church camp, Canisteri camp. And, um, I did program and program and program and loved doing that. And I think that's why we all want to be camp directors because the the belief is we can do that for the rest of our lives. And um, I left Canisteri and did some other things, um, you know, worked with 4-H and, and did some, you know, 
some other jobs to make sure that camping was a thing. And when I came back and directed, I directed um, Kenisari and Stevenson Children's Camp. And really, I was still focused on the program end because the board of directors was very hand-on with the business end, pay, um, all of those things. And I was a summer-only director, so I didn't have that commitment. My growth really came when I started full-time in camping, which would be January 1st of 99. I started at Canadian Adventure Camp and and seeing how someone who owns a camp, so Canadian Adventure Camp is a private camp, and you see the business, you start to see the way people run their own business of camp. Um, in between being, I'd, I'd gotten a degree in outdoor recreation, parks and tourism, and the reality is a lot of people go to a program like that because they want to be outside. They want to do outside things. I always went to it knowing that I wanted to work at camp. And so learning the business of camp was always something, or business in general, was something I focused on in university. More ideas, more of the theory of things. And then working full-time for a private camp, so Canadian Adventure Camp for a year, and then um, starting in November of 99 with the Taylor Staten Camp Company, um, I really got a chance to mentor under a great business So I saw her, how she ran the business side of camp, because she had absolutely zero to do with the programming side of Camp Almec and Camp Apameo. She was so focused just on the money end and making sure things ran that um, a lot of those skills I sort of picked up through osmosis. So when I started at Pierce Williams, I was already, you know, I could just adjust with, with the business of camp. So my adjustment was really over a course of time and I think that's the best way to the best way in my mind is to to slowly move towards something it can be a bigger challenge if you're thrown into a camp all of a sudden if you're a program director somewhere and that's what you've always done and then all of a sudden you're like okay it's time for the step up I'm going to become a camp director I think that that transition can actually be the most difficult in camping because you're going from thinking about the camper's needs that summer and when you're a camp director you should be thinking about the f the future of camp and the campers needs in perpetuity for that facility um so i just i was really lucky to adjust that way and i don't mind ha having 10 months of no kids in my life mm -hmm. right like i don't mind that idea of not being with kids for 10 months because for two months i i deal with campers and uh, and i am act with those campers and still running the business of camp there are other camp directors who really struggle with not being hands-on with kids more often during the the year but i've i've gotten over that i'm totally okay <laughs> so jonathan for you how how did you come to um this philosophy not business first but that business is essential to how the sustaining the camp stuff uh, well, I think camp, I think managing a camp is, is the same as managing a small business. Mm. So I just, I treat the camp as if it's a, if it is a small business and, and manage it like that. We're, um, so then all decisions are made around, around overall impacts. I think it's always important to look at all aspects of the camp. So the financial component is one important uh, aspect the program is one important aspect the staff is one important aspect etc and you have to continually look at all the aspects and manage them together and i honestly believe at the end of the day if you're not um ending the year with uh 
whatever level of profitability that you've set out and desired, mm -hmm. then then I think that's a key job as director. Right. I think it's a. I'll say I think it's a lot more fun for directors when their camp is making some money. Um, but I also think no no not for profit is sustainable if you're not ending the year. Uh, with a balanced budget or some level of profitability, mm -hmm. you have to put money back into your business. Yeah, but I include I include donations and all sorts of revenue in in that uh, to balance your budget. Right, all right. And, and I'm going to come back to that, Jonathan. Um, but let me ask Sarah: uh, for you, what was the the transition to more of a business mind to to camp for you? Um, I mean, I knew I had a lot of learning to do. Mm -hmm. Um, I had relatively zero business experience, except for the fact that my dad's an entrepreneur and a small business owner. And so part of me was like, I don't know anything. And then part of me was like, wait, I've been having business conversations at the dinner table, um, for my entire life, you know, with my family and like, um, just thinking about the strategy side of things and all that was something that I really loved. Um, but the finance side of things, um, capital planning, even, you know, basic budgeting, all that stuff, I had to be really humble about and ask a lot of questions and align myself with the people who did know so I could, you know, make the right choices and just like become a sponge and learn as much as possible. Um, knowing that it was essential um, for the end goal, which was so important to me, which was who we've been talking about, the campers. Um, so remembering that um, it was okay to say, like, I don't understand that at all, or like, excuse myself and like Google it and read the Wikipedia article on it and then come back. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of it was just like being very open um, to new knowledge and knowing that there was a lot I still had to learn. Yeah. Yeah. So excuse me, this, this is where I'm going to head back with Jonathan, but while I've got you, Sarah, the, um, what sort of stuff happened at your time at Algonquin to help with, um, not so much building the skills, but more in terms of, uh, of understanding revenue and building up the revenue at Algonquin. Yeah. So, um, so I wrote down in my little notes here, a quote from um, Tom Adesky, and I don't know if he originally said it, but he shared it with me. He's a camping services um, in YMCA San Diego. And he said, without money, there is no program. Without program, there is no money. And you guys might have heard that before from another source. Um, so for me at Algonquin, it all came down to the program. And so, you know, there's so many components to business and the financials is like keeping the financials organized and ethical and being strategic with how you use your financial resources and your, um, you know, your money there. Um, but for me, it was like really building the program, um, to differentiate it in a way that it was like an essential component for the youth of my area. Um, so I guess, you know, that being said, like that was our business strategy. That was our business approach. The program, we really focused on the program. So it became so good that, um, enrollment, um, occurred because people really wanted to do it. Not because we were like, had this like great advertising campaign or something like that. We mm -hmm. really just, um, had this excellent, excellent program. Um, and that was, that was the strategy. So, um, that was exciting. And Algonquin, um, was starting to fill rather quickly when I became the director. By the time I was the director, it was full and waitlisted, um, December and January of every year. So, um, that seemed to work very well for us. That's awesome. And were there, um, shoulder season 
opportunities at Algonquin too? Did you bring in revenue yeah. from spring and fall? So, yeah, so this is one of the really interesting things at Algonquin. Summer was the bread and butter of Algonquin. And we mm-hmm. see, you know, this is one philosophy in camping where a lot of camps have like 200 things going on. And you're like, ah, like we're doing a lot of things, but are we doing any of these things very well? So Algonquin really focused on summer. Um, once summer was like super, super smooth, really awesome. Um, we had a couple of shoulder season things going on. We started to add a couple more things in, but really summer was the major focus. Mm-hmm. Of Algonquin. Um, and I think that was really important because I think um, we looked at our resources. We used outside consultants. We're in very northern Michigan. It's like a four-hour drive from our customer base. And we realized that although the site wasn't being used, um, there wasn't going to be a positive return on opening it up for a lot of shoulder season things, looking at the location, the competitors, all that stuff. So sometimes it's addition by subtraction, right? Yeah. By focusing in on that one thing that's that you're really going to do well, that's really the right fit. Um, for your business or your organization versus like, you know, trying to throw a lot of paint at the board and see what sticks, yeah. just really focusing it. Yeah. Right on. So, so Jonathan, you guys handle extra revenue streams extremely well um, and I've got tons of them going on right now. Um, but it didn't always start that way because for when you and Teresa first started, Teresa was the only one working full time and now you've built up to many full-time staff and uh, all these other things going on. How did you folks take the first steps towards um, not just sustainability, but towards constant growth? Right. Um, Yeah. When Kintel was very focused, like Sarah was saying with the camp she was at where summer camp, it it was exclusively a summer camp Um, and a summer camp that did, fairly well. There has been fairly, fairly consistently was running 90%, um, around 90% capacity most years, sometimes a little higher. And so, and they had never done, there hadn't been much thought to the off season. So, but we wanted to, we didn't want to grow the summer camp, uh, much more because Mm -hmm. we like the number of campers that we're at. So looking at, then, then we decided we wanted to diversify and to grow the revenue to, and to make, and to be able to make site improvements because we didn't feel we could have um, the physical assets here that we have without better utilizing them. But I definitely agree with what Sarah said. We didn't want to just throw things at the board and see what stuck. We wanted to have a specific plan. So we decided to focus on a couple of specific areas that we thought suited the niche markets in this area um, and and would match with what competitive advantages we had, but also not doing what other people were doing exactly in our area. Um, so so then we we started with school programming and doing some weekend rentals. And then the last few years, we've had a focus on on adding um, weddings as well. And those are really the three things we're doing. Um, and looking at looking at around us, like one of the things that got us going with the schools, because it's very it's very complementary to what we have. And then a few of the key things we wanted to add to augment our summer camp with uh, specifically a rock climbing facility and a high ropes facility would would serve a really good dual it would create really good synergy with school programming Mm -hmm. um 
And we looked, there's no camp within an hour of us doing school programming. And the closest camp is a Y camp, um, Camp Kauai, and they do an excellent job, but they run full right. with their schools. Right. And they're over an hour from our site anyways. So we're, we're looking at that going, they're, ha- they're having great success and they do a really good job, but they're turning people away because they're at capacity. So it seemed like a good market choice. And then, and it's worked well. So we, we set a goal. Uh, we were hoping within five years that um, that off-season non-summer camp revenue could be uh, at least 50% of summer camp revenue so that so that we just thought it, it protects the camp. It just diversifies us so we're not completely reliant on one thing. And But we wanted to do that with the goal that, that the off-season – it would be profitable. It had to produce revenue that could go back into the site to make improvements. Well, and I, in all of the camp people I talked to, Jonathan, I don't know anyone who's made the site improvements that you guys have made in the past 10 years. There's no building at Camp Cantil that hasn't had work done on it in the past 10 years, and including tons of new buildings and other really cool physical um, improvements that suit the program, like high ropes. Um, like an amazing new chapel and massive stairs and all these amazing things that, uh, and, and big, um, and not just stairs, but an amazing ramp into some of the program areas that, um, you know, that serve different populations and also help you in, in keeping the summer camp going. So that philosophy is obviously paid off for you guys. Thanks, Travis. Well, and we also, uh, amongst it, we wanted to set some other goals. And one of them was to have, every aspect of the site accessible yes and so now um it's and that's expensive and it's taken us a number of years but now now as of this year there is not a single building um or area of the camp that's not accessible right right yeah it's stunning to see it's stunning Mm -hmm. to see um joe jonathan was talking about um identifying assets and 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 figuring out how to make use of them is that um, is that how Pierce Williams got into the game of um, being a, an amazing rental facility and, and building up that side of what goes on at Pierce Williams? I think I think part of it is that they just um, they just fell into that. This this is a a bigger question. Pierce Williams has been around started in 1960, and in the late 60s there was a two sides on the board. One side wanted to become more modern and move into year-round programming as early as 68, 69, they were thinking about this. Mm-hmm. And the other side wanted to stay rustic. And um, I know the stories because one of our major donors for a new building was on the rustic side. Right. He then donated a lot of money to build a, a modern new side. building that's definitely not on the on mm-hmm. the rustic side. Mm-hmm. Um, and and one of the talks I have with some other camps is they say, well, great, we're going to hire a full-time executive director because, you know, things seem to be, that seems to work for Pierce Williams. And I said, but like, wait, like we've had a full-time person on staff since the early seventies. Yeah. So there's been a full-time camping person since 73. And, and so the, the rental groups and, and, whatnot were all in place sort of in place when i when i arrived um we've doubled our our revenue over the past 10 years and a lot of that is understanding that the rental groups pay for the subsidy on each camper Mm -hmm. and 
Um, it's, it's one of these things where people look at your pricing and they say, well, how can you afford to only charge $300 for a week at camp? Well, the, the reason we can afford that is because we subsidize that with other rental groups over the course of the year. And so um, an actual week at camp costs somewhere around $500 per week if you take in all of the expenses. And so we're subsidizing every camper by $200. Right. And we do that through rentals. The The reality is when I arri- arrived, I the board was asking questions about how they can stay in the black more often and, and whatnot. And, and I remember a board meeting where I went in and I said – I know exactly how we can stay in the black. I got it. And they said, how's that? And I said, stop running summer camp and <laughs> just do rentals. <laughs> and then the board, you know, loses their mind. Well, we can't do that. We can't. And I said, that's not what I'm proposing. I just want you to know where our money goes. Our money goes to the mission of offering children's camp, right? That's our mission. Christian children's summer camp. That's the mission. That's what we do. And you are choosing as a board by keeping our rates low that we need to find other ways to subsidize that income or subsidize the summer camp expenses, right? So um, the, the we've put into place a lot of customer service details over the past 10 years, just mm-hmm. how we deal with groups, how we, how we greet them. We want groups to come back to us. Our location, as opposed to Sarah was saying, Algonquin, Camp Algonquin is – you know, the distance it is and, and even Godrich, you know, for Jonathan, our location is very unique in that we are in the middle of nowhere, but surrounded by like half a million people that are within a 45 minute drive of our site. Right. right? So you get this. Um, and if you go into Toronto, you're talking about three, three million people within a, an hour and a half to two hours of Within a two and a half hour drive, you easily have well over three million people available to you, right. um, which which is great if that's if you can reach those markets. And we find a lot of our groups come from Toronto. Our rental groups come from Toronto and London, which is a London, Ontario's you know let's say four hundred and fifty thousand people, and and so we 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 get those. When I first arrived, I thought about Detroit, but crossing the border becomes a bigger issue than you would. Uh, than you would imagine yeah. as a Canadian who lives by the border, we cross without, right. We just cross, right. We, we have a passport. We need a passport. Yeah. Um, but, uh, we have focused instead on, on Ontario clients and, and that has, has helped us significantly. Right. So the, the model that we have has been very, um, very much. We've tweaked little bits of it as we've gone along yeah. and, uh, and, and yeah, most of our buildings are up to date. But now, now we at, we're at this point where we know that if that's our business model, which is to rent our facility out to help pay for camp, we need to incre- we need to set all of our standards higher for inside those buildings because at a certain age, people just don't want to stay in a camp bunk. Right. Right. They just don't want to sleep in a, a, a. No matter how nice I can make that room look with paint and sanded floors and and new beds and new mattresses, the challenge is it's still a bunk bed and that throws them for a loop. Right. So, you know, yeah. So, so that's part of your big plan is, is to continue to develop the facilities so that it's comfortable for rental groups. Yeah. The reality is we have, we did a major visioning in 2009 and, and this was the, when I arrived, it was about financial sustainability. And so when we, when we hit that fairly quickly, I said to the board, where to now? And that's when we came up with this huge plan you know, if, if the whole plan was put into place, it'd be easily 10 to $15 million of improvements to the site, which would be great for any 
camp, right? But we have a plan, and um, part of that plan is to actually build a a, a hotel-style retreat center, eat, sleep, meet space on site for f- up to 50 people so that you can, you know, you can be at camp versus be downtown London at a conference mm-hmm. or downtown mm-hmm. Toronto at a conference, right? You, you're in this unique space where when you need to clear your head, you can just step outside and be in nature and um, and really go from there. So we do have the plan that all the facility is going to grow. And when we grow, we're going to put in the amenities that are going to help the rental groups as well as summer campers. So, for example, we winterized a building last fall, redid the floors, haven't put new bunks in it. But um, but by winterizing and putting heat into that building, um, the heat source we used automatically comes with air conditioning in the summer. Right. Which was a godsend this past summer when it was so humid and so hot. Mm-hmm. And rental groups love that and will pay extra for having air conditioned cabins because yeah. a lot of people don't like no air conditioning. So, yeah. So, Sarah, I've been watching you scribble notes. Is there stuff that's come up that you wanted to add on to? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, my notes are just notes in general. Okay. Um, do you want to hear one of them? Yeah, please. Uh, I just, one of the things I wrote down is business does not equal evil. Right. Yeah. Um, which I think is like kind of an interesting point because I think sometimes there's like a mentality or a vibe in our industry where if you like, start to get business-like or mm-hmm. um, say something about, um, you know, something that sounds too businessy, especially for those of us that are in the nonprofit yeah. um, or religious-based camping world. People are like, whoa, 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 like it's about the kids. Yeah. Um, so thinking about how those things can like coexist um, and, and help each other out, I think is something that's really important and something to like not feel bad about like getting businessy or like sticking yep. up for yourself or for your, you know, your own program. Um, cause sometimes we're like, well, you know, <laughs> we don't do that. Right. Um, and I, I think that does you a disservice. Right. Um, so that was one of the things I wrote down. And, and the other, that and your quote from before reminds me of something that I often say to clients too, which is that, that money moves the mission. If you're a mission focused right. place, you have to have money to be able to do that. And right. if your only thing is mission, 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 then um, you're not funding that in any particular way. You're not being thoughtful about that in any particular way. Right. And Travis, yeah. that's huge. Yeah. Huge. And in the, and it's huge because a lot of people who are mission-focused, especially board members who join mm-hmm. a nonprofit camps board – they're thinking about what you do as the mission and our philosophy and the philosophy I've tried to get into our board and talk when I talk at conferences about campus business and whatnot is this idea that when we, when we make decisions, we, we are only the stewards of the property at this moment in time, right? Yeah. We're a unique snapshot at this moment in time. We need to make sure this property is here into the future. And if we don't make good business decisions, then the mission is going to fail because we don't have a facility to to use to mm-hmm. to do the mission, and so mm-hmm. if we don't make the phrase we use at at Pierce Williams is today's campers camper. This idea that you have right. um, a seven year old come to camp, and in twenty years they'll be twenty seven and start to have kids. So seven years after that, a, 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 their kid can come to camp. So twenty seven years from now, are we making decisions that are going to apply in twenty forty three? Right. Right. And, and if we so when we're building a building or when we're putting in a program, all of these things, not 
one, not any program, but like if I was to put in a high ropes course, my question would be, is it going to last 27 years, right? Is it any program that you're going to put a lot of infrastructure in for? We ask that question because we need to make smart choices to be here for today's campers camper. It, and I'm amazed at how many people don't think yeah. ahead and, Right. Yeah. And I, you know, when I talk to, I, I do a lot of training with staff who are like emerging from being, um, like head counselors, like program directors or that kind of thing. And a lot of times what I say, and it kind of echoes what was said before, but as a camp counselor, junior counselor, you're thinking like an hour down the road or a day down the road, you know, and then as a head counselor, you're thinking like two days, three days, a week down the road, program director, three months down the road, you know, what are we doing next season? I got to get everything in line for the the spring or whatever it is. Um, and then as you kind of like go up the chain, you're zooming out, you know, further and further. So to help people make that transition, that usually helps click with people um, to think about how can you as the exact look, you know, a hundred years down the road. Yeah. Um, and I've certainly been there when execs far before me were not thinking hundred <laughs> years the hundred years down the road and I end up with like a septic system that no one knows where it is. Right. You know, and we're like, Oh, we need to find this. <laughs> like, you know, that sort of thing. So it's definitely, uh, a service, even though we might not personally reap the benefits of it. Right. Right. Travis, can I make a comment? on Yeah, that? please. Yeah. I, just two things, uh, on what Sarah and Joe were just saying. I think, I think it's very important to think for the future, but I think it's equally important to think for next year as well. So I think when people are doing their financial planning, I think I think they should definitely have an aspect of their financial plan for one year, for five year, mm-hmm. and then and then for longer term. But I think often people get too focused on one or the other. Right. They're only thinking mm-hmm. for next year. They're not looking at their five year trend or they're not planning for five years out. Um, mm-hmm. Or people get focused on, I can't do I can't do X, Y, Z because I have to do ABC because ABC is going to be good in 50 years. Mm-hmm. But if you're not profitable right now, 50 years, you have to weigh what's most important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wanted to make a comment. I like Sarah's point a lot that business isn't evil. Um, I've done um, this past year. I did some financial consulting for three different camps and um, something that, Something that became apparent for me was when people, and I think this is human nature, yeah. when people, when you're not really good at something, and and as I admire you, Sarah, that you're what you said, like that you're you're doing your MBA now, and it's and it's not your background. Business is not your background. I mean, my first degree is a Bachelor of Commerce, so doing an MBA was no stretch for me. It was a natural fit, but yeah. for you, it's a it's a lot more of a stretch. But it's good because I think people, when they don't know something. And they're worried about it when human nature is if we're not good at something, we tend to ignore it or we do get scared of it. So mm-hmm. if we're not if if a lot of camp people are are good at programming and are good at are more camp things, they they'll sway away from the financial aspects. But it's it is important and it's not evil and it's not scary, but it can be if you don't know it. And, and working with a couple of different camps, I quickly realized that. Even the even common financial terminology, it's mm. a lot of people are not familiar with it. And so you have to back up and we can't assumptions that would be made in a in a business type environment cannot be made. And so things have to be people have but people have to learn it and start very basic and do some general reading and learn some general skills. 
and then it will it will quickly build. But I, I really do think that that then it doesn't become evil. It becomes a part of of your repertoire yeah. for what you can do and have. Yeah. And also not to be afraid to get the right people on your team, right? If finance isn't your thing, it's going to take you a long time to learn it. And that's when you bring in the finance consultant or someone on your board, you know, or the CFO or whoever it is. Um, because if we ignore it, it's just going to bite us. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and that, that's You're, no good either. It's easy to ignore for a little bit, you know, and I, then. I think that's phone. an important point too, because yeah. when you do a lot of the case studies in MBA, you learn most of the most successful managers will say, they surround themselves with smarter people than they yeah. are and listen to them. And then they just put into action their advice. And right. both of two of the camps I was working with, I suggested that they hire an accountant to do their books for them. And they, they were really surprised and they said, we can't afford that. And I said, I can almost guarantee you that the, the revenue that you'll save or the taxes that you'll, um, the taxes that you'll get back or save yeah. will pay for that fee. Right. And and they were surprised. And they and and then I said, we do that. I said, even though I have a financial background, we we have a chartered uh, management accountant that does the who who we pay to be our treasurer. Um, and she is a she has a she does it for other small businesses. And so she and I believe the money she gets us back in taxes pays for her fee. There's a fee for the right. service. But she also does the work in an eighth of the time of what a general bookkeeper or another staff person who's not trained would do. Right. And she lives three hours from our camp and we do everything. We do everything online. But I can I can email her any day and have a a financial statement sent to me if I choose. Right. That's awesome. One of the things our CFO at the YMCA in Ann Arbor said to me is a lot of times um, organizations like our pinch pennies, not pounds. Right. Right. Um, so that always sticks out in my mind. Like, how can we maybe make um, an investment now that will save us money in the long run? That sort of thing instead of scrambling yeah. all the time. Lots of camps won't know what a CFO is. <laughs> yeah. Which <laughs> Chief is... financial officer. <laughs> yes. Good catch, Jonathan. That's great. But, Chief financial officer, but that's a great thing to have. Yeah. And it's different yeah. than a treasurer. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. Maybe one of the outcomes of this is we create a uh, a financial term dictionary for camp pros just so they can uh, feel more confident in financial meetings. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I, I just to sort of one more one more quick round before we start to wrap things up for this conversation. As I said at the introduction, I there's so much of this that I think is so important, and uh, I do want to come back to it. So, if you're listening. And some of these ideas are hitting home or there's stuff that you have more questions about, please reach out to me. You can email me, Travis at camphacker.tv, um, and, or message me in some way. And let me line up some more questions and I'll bring these folks back, um, to help. You know, we'll keep, we'll do this in stages. We'll take small bites and as a, as an industry, we'll start to feel really uh, much more confident in this stuff. Um, Jonathan, one of the things that I that I noticed, and you and I have talked about this before, um, is, is that really getting this stuff in order gave you and Teresa a lot more um, confidence in dealing with your board and a, lot, and a lot more power in that relationship. Not that you're going into it to have power over your board, but it just gave you a lot more um, ability to say, we want to take these risks and we deserve to. Uh, how did you folks get through that stage of, and what was it like for you? Oh, that's interesting. Um, I haven't thought of it exactly like that, but 
I think I think an interesting thing to note is that um, um, Teresa, the, uh, the who is a the co-executive director with me, she's a Presbyterian minister, mm-hmm. and Teresa doesn't come at things from a financial um, background at all. Mm-hmm. Nor is is she actually interested in in finances at all. But she has become much more interested in finances as um, when she was a minister to church, she had to learn some of it to to run the annual meeting at a church. And then definitely at the camp, she's learned a lot as well. And while it's not her favorite thing, she's definitely learned the importance of it. But she still comes, she comes at things first from a, um, definitely from a mission aspect, un- mm-hmm. undoubtedly. Mm-hmm. And, and then I'll often come at things from a financial aspect first. And that diversity is important. And I think that goes to what Sarah's saying, surrounding yourself with good people. And then and then it's the same thing with our board. We definitely try to recruit um, people with all different backgrounds. But specifically to your question, Travis, I think um, if you're, when creating, we created a culture of change, really, yeah. Yeah. Both, both with the board and the staff. Our first few years, it was definitely difficult as we said, we'd like to do this and made proposals. And there was lots of the, lots of what you would generally expect, like, well, but we've done it this way for a long time or, oh, there, there, there's the usual objections. But I think when you present, if, when the plan is presented with, the, with both a sound financial aspect and a mission aspect and, and it, going back to what Joe said, explaining how things match with the program and your goals. Um, and, and we have a clear vision. And one of the first things we did was we updated the vision and mission statement for the camp mm-hmm. with, with board members and stakeholders using an external consultant. And I think that was really important because it allowed us to point towards that and always use that as a basis for analyzing what we're doing. But the end result is after after um, after year after year of doing changes and updates and improvements that continually led to further financial improvement, then now now it's gone from exactly the opposite of there's there's almost never an objection. There's an expectation at every meeting of what is being presented this time that we're going to be able to do yeah. and we're going to discuss how we're going to be able to do it, not, not put up roadblocks. Right. right. So it's a, it's creating that culture, but it's also, but it's not just creating the culture, it's following through. Mm-hmm. Well, and I that think, makes sense. Yeah, it totally does. I also think that you have, <clears throat> been able to give confidence to in, in both directions up to your board and down to the people who work for you. And then therefore that the campers and their families, you've been able to to prove that you can do these things and that these changes are going to pay off and, and you're able to build confidence in both directions in your leadership. And, um, that's pretty, it's pretty great to see as an alumni. It's certainly something, one of the things I love about, about Kinto, um, is seeing what, what the two of you have done in terms of the confidence in the community. So Joe, for you, um, how, what sort of thing would you advise a, um, either a youngish kid, a new camp director, I don't, age doesn't matter, but a new camp director, uh, in, in developing these kind of practices, um, within their own experiences, you know, if it's not something that they're drawn to, or they don't have a banking background like Jonathan. 
If if they're just getting started, there is a book called is it called Basic Camp Management? Is that the it's there's numerous editions of it, but it goes over the basics of like setting up your accounting and, and all of those things. If you if you're starting from scratch or you're new, just simply reading through something like that, because it's a camp centered book, um, and and that can help you a ton. I think the more interested I think we all choose our own unique specialties as camp directors, things we're going to focus on versus things that we are going to let somebody else do or pay someone else to do. And so um, accounting has never been my strongest, but that's a big part of running camp as a business. But marketing is another huge part of running camp as a business Um, and understanding how markets work and and how marketing and, and sales work and all of those things. So it's choosing those specialties in a book like basic camp management will certainly help people understand all of those aspects. And then they can choose from there where they want to specialize and continue to go. Right. right and Sarah, what, what advice would you give to somebody just um, getting serious about this or, or seeing that their, their life as a camp leader, camp manager is changing from program focus to admin focus? Um, I mean, you have to be okay with the fact that your life is changing. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. but if being okay with making the magic happen behind the curtain in like a non glamorous way, um, is okay. And, um, one thing that was really beneficial to me that was kind of cool as I was learning, I would bring in, um, some of my like program directors and teach them some of the business aspects at the same time. So it didn't feel so isolating. So not just like relying on my mentors or the, you know, the CFO, CEO that, you know, the people above me, uh, bringing in the barn director and saying, okay, like let's spend an hour together writing the barn budget. You know, let's talk this out, teaching that piece. Um, so not being the only champion for business mentality, but having other people take ownership of some of the business aspects, um, have involvement in those business aspects, um, was really rewarding, helped me maintain those mentoring relationships. And also another important thing from a business aspect is take teaching, I mean, keeping all camp jobs, um, considered as professional Hmm. jobs. So Hmm. helping that, uh, trips director who, um, actually, I have a trips director who works at um, Goldman Sachs right now in New York City. Right. Um, a former trips director, like bringing him in, doing the budget. Like, okay, Rolf, like this is going to be like a more uh, professional, th- another professional thing to add to your list of experiences. So yeah. uh, I think knowing that you're not alone and um, learning and teaching those aspects is important. Right on. Um, it, the other thing I would say is. Um, <clears throat> These different skills are important, and and in in the same way Jonathan said, you have to make it a culture of change. You have to accept that as a camp director, and more and more every year, change is going to be a huge part of your job. The the camp directors that I worry about the most are, um, you know, I've been doing this for thirty years, and and I've had a number of them say to me, "I'm not going to learn internet stuff because I'm within fifteen years of retiring, and I'm not going to need it." I was like man, you are, you're so wrong. It's going to come up and bite you. Um, so I, I think you have to develop your own philosophy of I'm going to be constantly learning. I can't learn everything about accounting in the next month, but I'm going to try to learn something new all the time. And you really have to be developing your own self with this, this uh, philosophy that, that learning and change is, is 
the only way to survive, not just in the camp industry, but in any job. Um, mm -hmm. Change is happening so rapidly in all jobs that it has to be the key to your success is that philosophy. The other thing I think is that when this stuff really gets, gets, gets to you, uh, then it's time to get out of the office. And, um, you know, perform at Campfire, lead a song, um, yeah. be the mail guy, um, <laughs> all those sorts of things. Jonathan's a famous mail, mail guy character. Mail guy is the most popular guy on camp. <laughs> oh, no, mail, like, like, like letters or yes. mail, like, yeah. female? The oh, letters, okay. yeah. Um, letters and packages. Anyway, just something that gets you out of the <laughs> office to see the product of all of this um, focus that you've put in. Uh, for me, it was always get up early and walk the trails just because my love of the site sustained me through a lot of really trying times, just the, the place, knowing that, that the place is going to be there for others to enjoy. So, mm -hmm. um, so lots of great thoughts from the three of you. I really appreciate it. Uh, if any of this stuff rang true with you, I, I would really appreciate it if um, you would take just a second and give us a review on iTunes. It helps. I, I see them all when they come in, and I'm always grateful when there's there's usually two or three a month. Um, as we're beginning this, our 2016-17 season, it'd be awesome to have some new reviews. We've made that easy for you. If you go to camphacker.tv slash iTunes, um, that'll link will open, open up your iTunes and you can write a review there. If you're on other platforms, it looks, looks like almost half of you are on, um, on Android or using other apps to listen to your podcasts. Um, then those usually have a built-in review system as well. Um, so you just click on our shows and, and write a review there. But let me say, thank you to the three of you for bringing this awesome discussion and, and raising the level of uh, professionalism of the people that are listening and watching. Uh, what I want to do now is move us on to our tool of the week. Tool of the week. If you're just joining us for this episode for the first time or uh, just listening and catching up on old shows, the tool of the week is something that each one of the panelists bring that they feel helps them be a better camp director. And um, everybody has really brought great tools focused on a lot of the philosophy stuff that we've been talking about uh, today. So, um, Jonathan, I, I love where you're going with yours. Could you tell us what your tool of the week is, please? Oh, my tool of the week is Microsoft Excel. Yep. I use spreadsheets all the time, and I have a annual spreadsheet that has about a dozen tabs across the bottom, and I just copy that over each year. And those tabs and, and the, the, the budget and the information in them is, is, a, is key, and I find it very easy to use. I think, I think it's my tool of the week. Um, yeah. Because it's sexy, Travis. Um, <laughs> Sorry, Excel is sexy. Just, just like that. you. <laughs> Jonathan, hey, what? I work that I work that in for you. Thank you. That's awesome. I appreciate it. Yeah, sexy spreadsheets. Right on. Um, Jonathan, those tabs across the bottom, what sort of stuff would be in, in each of those or a few of those that you can yeah, think of? And I, mean, I, and I mean, I use lots of different spreadsheets for lots of different purposes. But I definitely have this one spreadsheet that's my management um, spreadsheet, I guess I'd call it. Mm -hmm. and the first tab is our is the budget, um, where I update it with what's going on year to date um, and last year's actual results and last year's budget. Right. And then my next tab is is kind of a running um, budget for the next five years. 
The next tab is a five-year trend. So I always want to see where the camp's been for the past five years. And then after that, it's just other some other working spreadsheets I have. I like to keep a list of capital improvements mm-hmm. as um, what we're working on right now, what's a midterm project and what's long-term. And then I can just add to that. Whenever staff or, or other people have good suggestions, we can just put that on there. And then I can gather... We can we can gather some pricing information, and then I have a the next the next tab on it is the current staff. Um, there's one for senior staff and the positions they're holding and their salaries, and then there's one for seasonal staff and their positions and their salaries. Um, the next tab is a pricing pricing tab, so it's um, what our current cost is, and then how many campers it takes to get to our budgeted amount. So I can update that all the time. So if we're if we've got 800 campers registered, like I know from doing the budget that I need, say, 1,100 campers to meet budget. So then as I enter it in, though, we can see how many campers are registered for each camp and what fee they're paying and how how we're coming. So we can know when we're 70 percent to budget, 90 percent to budget and and ultimately 120 percent to budget, because that's always a nice goal. Yes. Then the next tab is the same thing, but for the rental groups. Right. So listing. Um, the rental groups and anticipated revenue and then recording as we observe that revenue to know how we're coming because I want to know where we're coming with with the financial at goals so it, and then there's a there's a, a few others just similar to those yeah yeah so it's really your your whole management dashboard is available to you there with that setup and then I just copy it over from 2016 to 2017. Um, I've already done that. I, I do 20, like I would copy over for 2017 halfway through the year and then start, start updating things for that. But then looking ahead already to 2018 and and so on. But I really, and and then obviously sometimes you're deleting things and adding things, but I think it's, it's really simple to carry all that data forward. And then, but then you have the record of other years, last year's data right there. But I, I just like having all that data under the tabs and then continually updating it. So it's it's accessible. And then sometimes it's a good reminder because I'll flip through the tabs and then it will remind me that, right, I haven't I haven't looked at this or updated it, but I need to. And it's not that I do all that work, but I can ask somebody to do it as well and then put it into my spreadsheet so that I know that it I, I know where things are at. Right. All right. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you, Jonathan. Um, Joe, what's your tool? My tool of the week is a book by Marshall Goldsmith called Triggers, Creating Behaviors at Last. Um, As we get older, we realize that uh, creating behavioral change becomes difficult once we set into our ways. And this is a book that uh, with, with research I found that really has effectively found out the only effective way to create lasting change, um, and it's based on engaging questions, this idea that you need to ask yourself engaging questions, not just questions. So there's lots of people who journal at the end of the day and, and check in, you know, did I set goals? Did I do this? Did I do whatnot? But what they, they found is that by adding a simple, did you do your best or did I do my best to the front of all those questions, you're, you're judging something differently than a yes or a no answer. Mm-hmm. You're judging something on a scale of saying, did I do my best to eat healthy today versus did I eat healthy today? Well, I had a donut, so no. Well, did did I do my best to eat healthy today? 
you can rate that on a scale of one to 10 and say, yeah, today was a seven or today was an eight or today was a two, right? So <laughs> um, they found that if you ask these questions continually for a number of weeks, it will create the change you're seeking. And the best way to do it is to actually find someone else who will call you up, physically call you up every day answer those questions too. So you're accountable to someone else, right? It's not just you writing in a book saying, yeah, I'm going to give myself 10, 10, 10, 10, and 10. The person you're talking with needs to be able to say to you, um, so I see you set a goal to work out on a daily basis. You know, did I do my best to get exercise? And for the past two weeks, I'm noticing that you're always at zero. <laughs> so like, is that a goal you want to accomplish or is that a goal that you can take off of your list? So it's a very interesting method and way, um, for us to create, um, for us to create change as we go forward. It's a, it's a great read. I listen to the audiobook and then I do this with certain books. I listen to the audiobook and then I bought the physical book so I could, um, highlight it and, and see things in print. Cool. 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 And for you, Sarah, what's your tool? Um, I also brought a book. It's called Getting to Yes. Um, Fisher and Yuri are the authors, and it's a book about negotiation. So um, just like I said before, sometimes we think like business is evil. Sometimes mm. we think like negotiations are really scary. I don't want to do that. I don't know how to do that. I'm never going to get what I want or what I need. Um, and this book is a really helpful tool to um, teach you how to do negotiations and give you tools um, to not just identify what you want and get what you want, um, but to help identify what the other party wants and needs um, and find opportunities for mutual gain, which I think is like super, super beneficial in a camp setting. Um, we work with so many vendors, parents, board members. There's like so many stakeholders and people um, who we deal with on a daily basis having some of these negotiating skills, which are really more like compromising and like creativity skills mm. are really important. Um, so I really enjoyed it. And I negotiated my cable and internet bill down by $30 a month after reading the book. So, uh, the payoff is definitely strong. Um, another tip I learned in business school is if you want to read a business book, but you like, don't want to read the whole thing, just Google like getting to yes. And then summary right. or like the author's names and summary. And you'll find very easily like a one pager that says all the critical points in the book. So I really also recommend doing that because we all know we don't have time to read every every book that we want to read, yeah. um, especially these nonfiction kind of deals. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, mine is um, uh, my tool of the week is MBA themed, although not a true MBA. I this summer did Seth Godin's Alt MBA, which is a five week course um, that um, I think it would be so amazing for uh, any camp director to do. It's um, intensive. It's five weeks at probably 30 hours a week or more. I definitely know that more than half of the people I took it with were working full-time while doing the course. Um, but um, you learn lots of things, including how much you can accomplish when you really set your mind to it, um, You know how priorities work, um, and and that's just sort of around getting this course done and, and exceeding at it, excelling at it. Um, <clears throat> but there's lots of really amazing stuff uh, on on goal setting, on doing an evaluation of your organization and figuring out how to use the strengths you have to get more or to find things that are kind of blind spots in your organization. Um, it is 
um, an amazing investment and <clears throat> excuse me, I'd hardly recommend it. What I'm going to do is put my alumni code in the show notes or I'll have Matt put those in the show notes. And so you can let people know that you heard about it from me. Um, if you do check it out and apply, uh, it's, there are a lot of people apply and a lot of people don't get in, but it's one of those things I would encourage you to, to apply to more than once because um, it is really almost a life-changing experience having been through this and uh, heartily, heartily endorse it. So we'll put the links to each one of these different things, um, the books, the Alt-MBA, into Microsoft Excel in, uh, in the show notes. And um, so you can go to camphacker.tv slash podcast um, and find the information there. Um, Sarah, if people want to follow up with you and ask you any questions, how can they get in touch with you? Um, yeah, the best thing to do is to visit my website and or email me. Um, my email is Sarah at KurtzMcKinnonCreative.com, which is K-U-R-T-Z-M-C-K-I-N-N-O-N creative. Um, and Sarah has an H on the end. Right. Sarah with an H. Right on. Well, Sarah, <laughs> thank you for joining us. Um, and uh, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. Right on. Jonathan, how can people reach you if they uh, have some questions? Follow up. Sure. My email is grow at campkintel.ca. And that's also it's my bio and emails on our website, campkintel.ca. Great. Jonathan, I'm so glad I had a chance to get you on. I'm looking forward to having you back on again. Sure. Thanks, Travis. You're welcome. Joe, how about you? Well, if people want to follow, want to see what Pierce Williams is up to, you can uh, come to campisbetter.com. That's our website. And you can reach me either through that website, campisbetter.com, or you can reach me through my personal site, which is yoyojoyoyojoe.com. And uh, can check up on me there and connect to social media there, too. Great. Well, good to catch up with you again, Joe. Mm-hmm. Thanks. And uh, so once again, the show notes will be at camphacker.tv slash podcast. And um, you'll see that and the other episodes of the show. This is episode 92. So if you're interested in some of the other topics we've covered, um, I would encourage you to go there and check that out or open up the podcast app on your phone and subscribe for free. And then the new shows will um, be automatically downloaded to your phone when they are available. Uh, I encourage you to do this before, but I wanted to I want to once again say reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at Camp Hacker or Travis at CampHacker.tv if you have any questions or comments. Um, specifically, if you have any questions about thinking of camp as a business uh, that we can use in our follow-up call. So thank you again to Joe and Jonathan and Sarah for joining us. Uh, and thanks for the evening, friends. The Camp Hacker Podcast is brought to you by Beth and Travis Allison, summer camp leadership training and marketing consultants. Thanks for listening. Camp Hacker, bringing your world into focus.